Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are completing our Generations series uh, this morning. We've been using the verse from Joel chapter 1 as our theme verse for the whole series in which he said, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. It is about passing it on, isn't it? This morning, we're going to look at the fifth and and last generation, the the youngest generation among us, sometimes referred to as Generation Z or the next generation. Roughly, it's those that were born after the year 2000. You know, when we talk about each of these generations, let's keep in mind that we're using some generalizations for a whole group of people and that sometimes is risky. It's not exactly fair. Not everybody fits exactly into these generalizations. But nevertheless, as social scientists are studying, especially this newest generation, we're learning some things about them. First of all, some names. This generation is known as Next Gen, also sometimes referred to as the Centennials, and that these are the 21st century kids. They're sometimes referred to as founders or plurals or digital natives. By that, meaning these are the young people that have grown up within the digital age. All they've ever known is the digital age, and they're very comfortable operating within it. It sometimes is called the I-gen, lowercase i, of course, referring to the fact that they are very technically savvy and capable. And they look forward to the next rendition, if you will, the next version of the newest electronic device that will enable them to connect even more effectively with their peers. This generation is sometimes called a throwback generation. That as studies are being done of, the, of these young people, they are exhibiting some attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that combine their tech-saturated uh, world with elements of the previous generation's past. In other words, they're, they're appreciating things they're learning from previous generations, and they're being able to take their technological abilities and combine those two things, which I think opens up some real exciting opportunities for intergenerational connection. Let's talk a little bit about the climate in which our youngest people are growing up today. As we said, it certainly is a tech-saturated world. And within that tech-saturated world, there are some pressures that come to bear upon our young people uh, through their technology. One of the things that is referred to is with the acronym FOMO, fear of missing out fear of missing out. It's that young person's fear of missing out on all the fun activities that their friends are involved in or missing out on the adventure that they're seeing their friends participate in and if they don't stay connected somehow, they're not going to be a part of that fear of missing out. It's a part of peer pressure and it's something that our young people are dealing with on a daily basis. Even worse than that, however, is the reality of online bullying. And this really can get very ugly, dangerous, and scary. 
There are other tech dangers when we recognize that things that are less than godly can appear immediately on someone's smartphone. This is a generation that has less exposure to godly values in this post-Christian era in which we find our country. And it's a generation that has a lot more exposure to ungodly values. It's a generation that is dealing with a gender identity crisis that there's a real sense of confusion about gender these days. It's a gender that is faced with school violence and security concerns, as is evidenced by the recent uh, protests by high schoolers calling for greater security measures on our high school campuses. It's a generation that is witnessing political unrest within our own country, It's also a generation that is realizing that they're entering into a more competitive job market than ever and that it's getting very difficult to find jobs. They also are observing new global threats from rogue nations, for example, like North Korea and so on. In terms of the characteristics of this generation of young people, understand that this is the first generation without any memory of the 9-11 incident because most of these people were not born yet or if they were, they were too young to have a direct memory of it. They've learned about it since, but they have no memory of it. And social scientists who study this generation uh, mark the 9-11 event as as a break point. And so some would say that Gen Z actually begins with those born about the year 1997 because those, those would be the first kids who would have no cognizant memory of that event. One-fourth of the U.S. population is this generation. It is the most tech-savvy generation. They have an incredible amount of talent and skill to share with the rest of us in this. They've sometimes been accused of having short attention spans, eight-second attention spans, But another way to look at that is they have been able to adapt to this incredible amount of information that they're receiving constantly, and they've developed an eight-second filter to be able to quickly go through that information, filter out what is not important to them, and get to what is important to them, and they do it in eight seconds or less. As a result of their high level of technology, however, we are seeing a lessening in social skills and a desire on their part to learn better interpersonal communication and public speaking skills for entering the work market. This is a generation, positively speaking, that desires to work. They appreciate and value hard work. Already, these high school students are working while they're in high school, and the oldest ones among this group who are now entering college are working while they are in college. This is also a generation that that desires to save their money for the future. Recent studies of, of this group are showing that this group recognizes the failures of previous generations to save long-term, and they are determined to save for their, get this, retirement. Yes, young people born since the year 2000 are talking about their retirement already, what life is going to be like when they get there and what they need to do to save for that. 
Positively also, this is a generation that highly values their family and their friends. But rather than me sharing all the information, I think it may be more helpful for you to hear from some of them themselves. Our youth director, Brian, interviewed nine of our Shepherd of the Desert high school students and asked them a series of questions. Watch the video screen, please. I truly think that if the church is going to get out into the world and make a better place of it, especially for the youth, that they're going to have to offer something to the youth. I believe that what we have here is an excellent beginning. I really don't like this. Can I have a friend sit with me? shoot this is hard i define a christian as anyone who believes in jesus and somebody who like really believes in god and like and like just like reads the bible and prays christian is someone who i think is accepting i think a christian is someone that believes that jesus died on the cross for their sins and if they believe that, then they'll go to heaven. That the whole universe wasn't really created by this boom, this big bang, but by God saying, let there be light. And having faith that God will guide them along their life. People that believe Jesus Christ died for our sins and were saved, so we get to go to heaven. A Christian is someone who believes in Christ and follows him in every footstep. I, I mean, I love going to church just because I like learning, just like learning about more, more about God. I attend church every Sunday and at school every Wednesday, and I am a youth leader for the middle schoolers, and I attend my youth group on Sundays. I come to youth group almost every week, uh, unless there's school or other things I have to do, and then I go to church pretty often too now. Yeah, I grew up in a church, and for a while, when I was younger, I felt like just just going through the motions, okay, school, weekends, party, God, school, weekends, party, God. I mean, it's the only church I've grown up with, so, I mean, I, I like the church, I'm comfortable with the church, I like the pastors, I like the staff, you know. I grew up here, so this is like a home to me, and just a place of worship, Well, my grandma and I actually had a very similar discussion to this the other day while we were sitting on the couch. It was more her yelling at me and stuff, but you know. The future of the church is strong. I feel like it could be better. Outside of the people that I know from church, I don't know people who are actively following God. People that I see in school and my friends from other places, they have they're not really close to God. She was talking about how, like, as we move to the whole non-denominational thing, as opposed to, like, being Lutheran or Baptist or whatever you might be, like, the doctrine starts to get muddied. And so then my mom had to chime in 
Um, as of now, I think it's failing because as I look at the community around me and the people around me, I feel as if no one is going to church or like sharing the word or showing their Christianity. They just kind of do it when they're at church. And so as of now, I think it's failing. I think it all depends on us, whether we go out and do our job to tell people who Jesus is. And I think that if we lead by example, it can thrive. As we like muddy the doctrine, we get farther and farther away from Christ. And so I think today as we see like Christianity dwindling, it's our job to like work to make that not happen. Um, Look out for like more of the younger families, younger kids, you know, try and get more participation from the youth, uh, like however you want to do that. I don't know. I think I just need them to lead us and show us like how to show our faith so then we're not afraid to. I think the biggest need is probably being open-minded because I think a lot of the problem comes with like, oh, we're trying to reach out and help, but we're stuck in our own ways and so that doesn't necessarily like reach the new generation not just be a christian on sundays and at church but to show your christianity and not be afraid to show your christianity out every day everywhere you are no matter what how people get to heaven because i know in the bible it says you must believe in jesus and that he died on the cross for us but if my neighbor is a really good person but isn't Christian, will they be in heaven with us? The biggest obstacle, I think, is all the problems in this world that are still happening, even though I know that he's one person, well, he's one thing, so he can't go around everywhere, even though actually he probably could, but he, like, I feel like there's a lot of things going on. Free will. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Definitely, I would have to say my friends. So a lot of my friends don't follow God, and it's really hard to talk to them about religion and why it's important to me and why I spend so much time at church. Well, um, probably the biggest obstacle is all the people who want to keep you from getting closer to God, like all the people who make fun of you for being a Christian. or Most, most of my friends are Christians, but there's one, two specific people that aren't, and... They keep saying, oh yeah, God's not real, he's just a cloud in the sky, or Jesus never was on the earth, he never helped, healed people. They're trying to put me down and fall away from Christ, but I, I don't think, that's not working. It was hard because I would spend time with more of my friends, and they would want to do stuff on Sundays, and like, ah, oh, I got church, it would always feel like a hindrance to me. I think one of the biggest obstacles for me would be why bad things happen to good people, just that. The general like obscurity of that I would say probably just like sometimes I doubt that he might not be real and I don't want to live in a world like that <laughs>
want to thank our young people for being willing to uh, um, share from the heart those answers to those questions. Wow, I thought that was great. And we've got a few of our young people, Jordan and Jensen, thanks for participating in that. Uh, boy, we can learn so much from each other and, and from them. Uh, you know, each week that we look at a generation, we're also taking a look at a biblical character uh, from whom we can draw some life lessons that apply not only to the generation at hand, but really to, to all of us. And this morning, we're looking at the biblical character of Simon Peter and the example of his life. You know, Peter had gotten kind of a, a reputation of being rather impetuous in the way that he, uh, he lived out his life. Uh, any number of times he would speak or act somewhat rashly. And I, I think the youngest generation, Gen Z, has sometimes been accused of that as well. They've been uh, accused of having short attention spans. Uh, in reality, I think it's that eight-second filter at work dealing with all this information, but sometimes because of them having to make quick decisions on things, sometimes they do act or speak what appears to be some ra- somewhat rashly in the way they go about things. And so maybe there's something that could be uh, learned from the life of Peter that applies to Gen Z, but also to all of us. Now think about Peter's life. There was a time when the disciples were in a boat at nighttime on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus comes out walking on the water out toward them at night. At first, they were frightened, thinking it was a ghost, but then when they realized that it was Jesus, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus said, come, and Peter went. But after he gets out there, when When Peter looks around and sees the wind blowing and the waves kicking up, he became rather afraid and he began to sink. It sort of seems that Peter was depending a little too much on himself and not enough on Jesus. You know, the the name Peter in the New Testament Greek language means rock. And when Peter saw the wind and the waves and he took his eyes off of Jesus and and saw all these these, uh, threatening waves, he lived up to his name and he sunk like a rock. Isn't that true for many of us as well? Now, thankfully, Jesus, of course, rescued Peter right there. But haven't we all been like that? Haven't we all been rock-like at times? Haven't we all taken our eyes of faith off of Jesus and onto our worries and our problems or onto other people or even onto ourselves? When we sink, Jesus is there for us as well to rescue us. Another thing about Peter's personality is that he didn't Uh, always try to see things from God's perspective. He tended to focus on a human perspective only. There's an example in Matthew 16 where Jesus is with his disciples and he proceeds to tell them that he, the Son of Man, was going to have to suffer and die and then rise from the dead on the third day. Peter's response, No, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, in his impetuousness, tended to see things merely from a human perspective. Another example of that is that one day Jesus took Peter 
along with James and John, up on a mountaintop. And while they were there, Jesus was transfigured in front of them. The bright light of His glory radiated out from Him. His divinity was made clear in that experience. And then Moses and Elijah appear on the mountain with Jesus. And how does Peter respond to all of this? In his uh, lack of clarity, in his impetuousness, he says, Lord, let's, let's build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's kind of saying, Lord, this is so amazing. Let's just camp out up here on the mountain for a while. And Jesus essentially says, no, we have to go down the mountain because he knew he had to go down the mountain to the cross. Peter didn't always have in mind the things of God. We fast forward now to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and arrested. When the mob arrived in the garden, Peter, you remember, drew his sword and cut off a man's ear. That man happened to be the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked Peter, not only for his rash, violent act, But Jesus rebuked him also for potentially obstructing God's plan of salvation. Jesus wanted Peter to understand this had to take place. He had to be arrested. He had to be put on trial. He had to be persecuted and beaten and crucified and ultimately die in order for sin to be paid for. And he didn't want Peter in his impetuousness to obstruct that truth. In today's gospel lesson from Mark chapter 14, we hear about Peter then being confronted in the courtyard. Three times he denied even knowing this man from Nazareth. And this was Peter who just a few hours earlier had boldly stated to Jesus, Lord, even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. I will never forsake you. And then after his third denial of Jesus, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Luke tells us that in that moment, Jesus looked right at Peter. An impetuous Peter was kind of put in a state of pause, if you will, where reality hit him like a ton of bricks. Reality sank in and that his sin was very real. Mark then tells us that Peter broke down and wept bitterly. You know, friends, perhaps we all need a pause moment in our life once in a while. A moment where each of us stops and recognizes our own failures recognizes and acknowledges our own sin and takes it to heart. And this is a message not just for Generation Z. No, this is for each and every one of us. Because all of us in our own unique way have been like Peter. We've all, in our own way, stepped away from our Lord, denied Him in some way, gone our own sinful, selfish way. Thankfully, Jesus did not condemn Peter for his actions, and neither does he condemn you and me. 
When we look at the story of Peter, instead of condemning him, he died for him. He went to that cross. And friends, he did that for you and me as well. His death pays for all of our failures. And when we look further at the story of Peter, we see Jesus took it one step further. You see, after his resurrection, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he takes it a step further with Peter. He wasn't content to let Peter wallow in his regret. The story goes that some of the disciples were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is on the shore. And when they finally realized that it was Jesus on the shore, they came ashore, and when they did that, Jesus had breakfast waiting for them. And after they ate this breakfast, Jesus took Peter aside. And he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Then a second time, Peter, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? That that took Peter aback a little bit that he asked a third time. And then he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing? Three times, once for each denial. He was restoring Peter. He was restoring Peter back into relationship with him and his father. He was assuring Peter that he was forgiven for all of his past mistakes. And he was restoring Peter into the ministry and commissioning him to feed the lambs, to take care of God's people with the message of good news. And what was the impact on Peter's life? He became one of the boldest witnesses for the sake of the good news, boldly proclaiming that Jesus was alive and that he was the Savior of the world. He was so bold, he even allowed himself to be crucified upside down, tradition tells us for the sake of the gospel, rather than renounce his faith in Jesus. And during the time that Peter was on this earth as an adult, he was maturing and growing in his faith, and he grew in having the mind of Christ. We hear it so beautifully in that epistle reading that we heard a moment ago. I want to read it once again with emphasis on certain words. Keep in mind, this is the mature Peter. This is Peter... Who's, who's now older and who writes two letters that end up in our New Testament. And this first letter, he writes to Christians who are under the persecution of Rome. And listen to what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore. Peter knew something about humility. He learned it the hard way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He knows what he speaks about. He himself had been lifted up by his Lord. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And he can say that with real authority because he himself had been cared for. Be self-controlled and alert. Yes, the former impetuous Peter is now able to say be self-controlled. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, 
how Peter knew this all too well. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. He would say, I know he will, because he did it for me. He will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And then he finishes by saying, to him be the power. Not to me be the power. I gave up that quest for power a long time ago. Peter would say, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, I think Peter would want us all to understand that there is a life-transforming power in the message of the cross and the empty tomb. He experienced it himself, this life-transforming power that took him out of himself and to realize that his hope was in Jesus, the one who died for him, the one who rose again for him. And he learned that failure does not have to be fatal. And friends, that is a lesson for each one of us. Whether we are in generation Z or any of the others, our failures do not have to be fatal. For through faith in Jesus Christ, our failures are wiped away. And all is bright and clear. The cross, you see, wipes it away for us. And the open tomb is an entryway into heaven because of Jesus, our Savior. That applies not simply to generation Z. It applies to each and every one of us of every generation. But I would like to close with some takeaways. First of all, a couple of takeaways for you who are in Generation Z, okay? Jensen, Jordan, the other young people here. A couple of takeaways. You are so skilled at being able to sort through the mass of information you're receiving. I want to encourage you to filter out the worldly non-essentials. Use your eight-second filter and filter out the things that really are non-essential, the things that would lead anyone away from God and focus on those things that really do matter. And this is the second point. You have so many talents, passions, and interests. I encourage you to focus your passion, your energy, and your talents on Jesus and His mission. I believe that this youngest generation has some of the answers to how we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ most effectively, with their technological abilities. The rest of us and other generations can learn so much from them in how to communicate the good news message in a way that people will hear, comprehend, and take to heart. Young people, I invite you to teach the rest of us how to do this most effectively. And then a couple of lessons for the rest of us. First of all, friends, let's encourage our young people. They get enough discouragement all around them. They are bombarded with discouraging messages. They need encouragement. The Search Institute did a study a number of years ago of young people in looking for what are the key factors that help a young Christian remain in the Christian faith and a part of the Christian church? What are the key factors involved in that process? And one of those key factors identified was this. 
having Christian adult role models in addition to that child's parents. When a young person has Christian adult role models who take an interest in them, who listen to them, who show, share with them their faith and encourage them in their faith walk, it has a huge impact on those young people remaining in the faith and remaining in the church. So I want to challenge all the rest of us to consider who might we be mentoring in the younger generations and encouraging in their faith walk. And then the last takeaway for the rest of us is this little uh, acronym, which I confess, I saw it on a bumper sticker when I was in high school. So it's been around a while. Okay, I won't say how many years that is. But I think it still applies. This little acronym means, please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. I think that's a thought in the mind of every young person toward an older person. Please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Jesus was patient with Peter. Impetuous as he was, Jesus groomed Peter into the mature man that he became who, who, along with others, turned the world upside down. Friends, I believe that this youngest generation is poised to turn the world upside down again for Christ if we will be patient with them and encourage them and work with them in leading people to Jesus. As we close this series, five conclusions that we've learned over the course of these six weeks. Number one, keep in mind, every generation is sinful one is not more sinful than any, than any other. Secondly, one generation has a great impact on those to follow. And we need to consider the impact of that. Number three, generations may change, but God does not change. The culture may change, but the message that God has to bear in His Son Jesus remains the same. Number four, every generation needs Jesus. He is still the answer to everyone's problem. He will always be the answer, and He's the one we need to share. And number five, every generation is to pass on the torch of faith to the generations to come. May God help us to do just that. Friends, we are all in this together. So let's find creative ways to work together to lead people of every generation to follow Jesus. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this